Hopefully you signed up. If you haven't, go ahead and get your name on there. Um, but that's going to be this Saturday. And, and, and be prepared because Satan doesn't want you to come. And so things will come up and uh, schedules will change and emergencies will arise. And just want to encourage you, watch out for that stuff. It's spiritual warfare a lot of times. Um, and so uh, be ready for that kind of battle, that kind of war. I, we're going to see more and more of that, I believe, as we get closer and closer to the coming of Jesus Christ, which he is coming back for his church, for his bride. We know that from Scripture, that just like, you know, you kind of read uh, the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're like, man, there was a lot of stuff going on, a lot of demons, a lot of people getting delivered, and a whole lot of spiritual stuff going on. That's because there was a war going on. There was a spiritual uh, happening. They knew, uh, the, the demons knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew he was going to be, uh, from the moment he was born, they tried to send people to kill him. And throughout his life, he was uh, attacked and, and had to walk through the midst of them as they were going to throw him off the cliff. And it wasn't time, it wasn't time, it wasn't time, he said. But then when it was time, it happened. Now, when Jesus is about to come back the second time, you're going to see that activity again. And I believe we're seeing it right now. I believe what we're witnessing worldwide right now is the demonic activity rising up and stirring up anybody that can be stirred up. You look at the venom and the viciousness and the things, and I know there's always been war and there's always been things like that. Of course there has, of course, and I'm not denying that. But what we're seeing is more of a, it's targeted. I posted two videos, one from opposing sides of a woman who would not raise up her fist for Black Lives Matter as they screamed and yelled at her face to try to make her be complicit or comply and, and be a part of them. And she wouldn't do it, and she wouldn't do it. And that's, that's just par for the course for Black Lives Matter, which is an organization that no Christian should, absolutely no Christian should support. I don't mean to, I, I can't say that strongly enough, and I don't mean to get off on this, but Towards the end of it, I want you to listen to what they're screaming at her. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Okay? That doesn't come from anywhere else but the, de the demonic forces, okay? Understand that, okay? So that's coming, that's happening, that's arising, nothing to be fearful of, supposed to take place. What that causes us to do as Christians is to look up. For our redemption draws near. Jesus is coming in the clouds, and he's going to take his bride home. But there's going to be a lot of turmoil up until that point. Read Ezekiel 38. Read the battle that has to take place, will take place. Now, it doesn't have to take place before the bride gets taken home, but it can. It isn't the same battle. It's not the battle of Armageddon in Ezekiel 38. It's a different kind of battle there. It will take place sometime. could be before, could be after. But we're gearing up for it. I see that happening. And we want to call it like it is. We're in a spiritual battle. And so right after the nation of Israel gets delivered in a spiritual battle, this is what it looks like. Ten plagues being exacted upon the nation of Egypt by a God who says, you're going to let my people go. They're going to be my people, and I'm going to be their God, and this is what it looks like to come up against my people. And they walked through the Red Sea on dry land last week. Beautiful picture for us to see. Amazing. And so, after they walked through on the dry land, the Egyptians, the demonic forces, geared up to go after them. If they can do it, we can do it. And as they went into the Red Sea, God says, 
and closed it in upon them and killed every single one of them. Now, that's in their mind. So they decide to sing a praise song about this moment, about this deliverance that God has brought them through, how he's going to be their God, and they're going to be his people. And it's a beautiful moment, and it's going to be a beautiful time for them to learn what it's like to be in the presence of a living God like this who's obviously present in that pillar of fire and pillar of smoke and obviously present as we just saw him completely wipe out our enemy. All hope was lost when those Egyptian chariots showed up. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But they watched their God deliver them. And I encourage you, as we read this beautiful song of praise tonight, sing praises to God now in your own life. Because he will deliver us. Has delivered us, but will keep our enemies and destroy them. It's exciting. In verse 1 of chapter 15, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Not to anybody else. Guys, praise songs are for Jesus. I know we know that. But it's hard for me not to take the time to say they're not for me. They're not for you. Those aren't the songs I like to sing. It's not the old style of song. Oh, was my son, Seth, trying to FaceTime me. I'm teaching, Seth. That's what I get for bringing my phone up. They're not for us. The words are supposed to be uh, what was placed on the heart of a writer by God, by the Holy Spirit, and then given to the church for us to sing to him, just like this song is. And I cry out to him, hey, what are the words? I can agree with those words. I cry out to my God and I tell him how I feel about him. Oh, whether that's in hymn form or chorus form or, or praise and worship or, or whatever kind of form that is, rock, country. Well, maybe not country. No, I'm kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. But whatever genre it might be is it's if it's to the lord then we need to sing it as unto to, to you lord you know so the children of israel and moses sang this song to the lord and spoke saying i will sing to the lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea the lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation he is my god and i will praise him My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. We don't write songs like that anymore, do we? (laughs) You should have seen them. They sunk like stones. God killed them all. Those are some songs, you know. That's, what I think, why a lot of people have a hard time with the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. They think he's different, and he's not. I'm very thankful that he's not. I want him to be this person in the Old Testament. I want him to be this person in the New Testament. I see it. I see nobility there. I see dignity there. I see majesty. I see a king. David could take care of a sheep. He could watch him. He could nurse him back to health. He could help him with their broken leg or whatever injury they received. He could be caring and kind and compassionate and loving. But boy, if he spotted a wolf, that was a whole different kind of David at that point. I love that because I sense that in me. And I think we all have that sense in ourselves. You know, there is a mother who will gently put back teen 
on the wound of their child's knee or some kind of salve to take care of them. But then we also have a phrase we used, isn't it? Mama bear might come out. There's that sense, and we're not so sure if you want to control mama bear, but it's, it's part of us. He's designed us that way to be both compassionate, caring, and, and, and nurturing, but also but protective of those whom we love. And that's our father. That's, he made us that way. It's a beautiful thing. So much for the sea of reeds, one of the theories is out there that uh, God didn't really part the Red Sea because that's a whole lot of water. He couldn't possibly do that, so it must have been the Red Sea. But as we read, God's word always protects itself in case some idiot, come, some person, excuse me, comes up and says that God can't do this, he'll write it down for us. <laughs> the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He's become my salvation. The Lord is a man of war. Pharaoh and his chariots and his army. He has cast in the sea. Chosen captains drowned in the Red Sea. Not the Sea of Reeds. The depths have covered them. They sank like a stone. In other words, they could sink. They're deep. They're far down. They went to the bottom. They're so excited about this victory. They're so excited about this deliverance. Do you remember last week what they thought? Do you remember the words out of their mouth as they saw these chariots show up? And I don't blame them, honestly. But as they see Pharaoh's chariots and all those men of war and the dust cloud that must have created and the sound. See, they don't have chariots. It's not like a car today or something like that. To hear a chariot was someone important was coming, first of all, because everybody else walked or rode a horse. But if a chariot came, sometimes carried or pulled by four horses across, you've seen Ben-Hur, I hope, as they do the great chariot race. Heavy machinery, tanks of our day. And they see hundreds, if not thousands, of these chariots coming, the choicest warriors riding them, the deafening sound as they come across, and they thought, as we're trapped between mountain and mountain and Red Sea, Weren't there any graves in Egypt? When you only bring chariots, there's only one reason you're doing that. It's because you're going to mow everybody down. That's what they were for. These are not transportation vehicles. They're not meant for that. They weren't to get the soldier on site so that he could hop off and go ahead and parry and thrust with his sword. They didn't stop for anything. These chariots would line up on the side of a battlefield, and they would come in later on. And as the warriors came in, if they saw themselves fight, uh, losing the battle, they would retreat, and these chariots would just come through, and just heavy iron, bronze chariots pulled by four horses. You can't stop them. They're meant for one thing and one thing only, and that's just to mow down. And then they turn around, and they mow back, and they turn around, they mow over until everything was done. There was nothing pretty about it. There was nothing Geneva Convention about it. In the Geneva Convention, it's kind of our rules for killing each other in the world. You can't use anything larger than a 30 caliber round to shoot a person, a human being. We were taught that. 50 cows are not meant for people. Now, when you're in war, you know, all, <laughs> what was the saying is better to be judged by 12 than carried by six. You know, um, we're going to do what you got to do to survive this thing. But you weren't supposed to do that. Not back then. Chariots just got 
They were lawnmowers for people. And these are women, and these are children, and these are sheep herders and cattle and goats and, you know, not warriors at all. So they were terrified. You can understand that. So when they see them coming now through the same Red Sea that they crossed, and they see God swallow them up with that same water, they're like, that was an unbelievably one-sided victory. Unbelievable for, for them to see. So they're singing a song. And so when they write that, verse 3, I underline that in my Bible. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. He is a man of war. Well, yeah, but it's a spiritual warfare now. We need to be on our knees, brethren. We need to, of course it's a spiritual war, but that's not what they're writing about. They're not writing about, boy, we prayed and, and, and they just disappeared. No, they're describing how God actually wiped them completely out. They're watching the bodies float and show up on the shore. I make this a point because I think we're a little soft in this area as Christians. And maybe that's why God brought me to this town or called me to this ministry. It's because that's who I am. I don't have a problem talking about this. A lot of people are timid about talking about guns and... I, war and, and fighting and battles and, and, and trying to apologize for Old Testament battle. No. I don't apologize for anything my God's ever done. That's why I worship him. That's why I follow him. That's why I get him and I understand him. I, we, it's normal to write this. Verse 3, Moses, the meekest man in the world, the, the guy who didn't think he could talk well enough for people to follow him, the one who's reluctant to follow God's calling writes this song, the Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. They ascribe that characteristic to God because they've just witnessed an unbelievable battle that they didn't even have to partake in. They just had to run, sit, and watch. God's teaching them something. I will do this for you. I am your father. It isn't close. I don't make it fair. I don't get down on their level and decide to see who's stronger and who's not. When it comes to Satan and God, it isn't an even match. Satan's created. Satan loses every time. In the book of Revelation, when it's time for Satan to go into the lake of fire, it says just an angel grabs him and throws him there. It's not a it's not a tug of war. It's not Satan on one side and God on the other side of your shoulder like the movies would have you believe and then it's, it's, it's just a really strong battle going on. No, 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 no. This is God's terrarium that he made. Satan kind of runs around like a little ant in it, doesn't it do, doing what he does, causing havoc because he wants to be like God and he can never because he's a tiny little ant. And God lets him. And he lets him do his thing. Because there has to be a choice between him and God. Otherwise, it's not love. If you choose God without having a choice, well, what's the point? And so there he is, running around doing his thing. When God wants to step in, though, this is what it looks like when God steps in. I have no fear. I have no worry about these things. None of us should. I think what we're witnessing, it's unbelievable. As anything gets thrown against this deliverance that God is doing right now for our nation... It falls back on them every time. Every single time someone tries to rise up and stop what's happening now, this return to God, this return to being Christian. 
the battle, the, the, the war that's being waged against his people all over the world, it gets thrown back on them. It's unbelievable to watch this. Now, it won't be like that all the time. There is a time when the Antichrist is going to prevail. It says so. He prevails. That's for a purpose also. Just like Jesus, Satan seemed to have prevailed against Jesus at the cross. But did he? Of course not. It was all part of the plan. So when they sing this song of praise, this is from their heart. They just witnessed an unbelievable battle, an unbelievable victory, so lopsided. So unbe- the, the, the Roman soldiers or the, yeah, the Egyptian soldiers, soldiers are still floating up and, and they're singing, I mean, truly worshiping. They write this beautiful song. Verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. Stubble is the leftover dry hay. And if you've ever seen, like, when you throw something like that, imagine that kind of small uh, fire food <laughs> on top of a bonfire. You watch it just kind of go. <laughs> That's what it was like. Not even close. And, and, they're, and they're recalling that. Man, when they try to come against us, when, when I thought it was us versus them, it was terrifying. But when I saw you step in, God, and, and saw what you did to them, I'm not terrified anymore at all. They were like stubble, consumed by a fire. And with the blast of your nostrils... The waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. That's what the enemy thought. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? The rhetorical question. None. There's none like you. They've been in Egypt for 400 years watching people worship all these different kinds of gods, and occasionally they probably got an inkling that, oh, their prayer was answered to this god or uh, to this god, and, and, and that god or this god stepped in and provided them with a child or provided them with wealth or whatever it may have been that they ascribed to that tiny, tiny little man-made god. And they had no idea what it looked like to be in the presence of a true God. This is what it looks like to be in the presence of the living God, the true God. It's not, I think he stepped in. I think I got pregnant because I prayed. I think, I no, he left no doubt. Our God leaves no doubt. And this, remember, was on purpose, that the Egyptians might know that there is no other God besides him. You can throw all those other gods away now. Who would go back to the frog god now? Or the Nile god? Or the crocodile? Or the sphinx? Or whatever else they worshipped back then? Or Pharaoh, for that matter. Of course, he's floating now. Who would go back to that? (laughs) We say, in the middle of a beautiful praise song, they will. They will have a heart's desire to turn away from this god that they're singing about today and to go back to... Well, because there's no more deliverance anymore that's needed. They're not in trouble. They're learning. 
This is a process for them to figure out who this God is. And he's showing himself strong to bring himself glory so that people will worship him and know him and not be fooled into falling into these traps that Satan sets for them by worshiping other little gods. And so he's taking them step by step. Watch, I can do this. I can do war for you. I can do battle for you. You don't have to worry about that stuff. I've got that part covered. Next week, it's going to be bread. Yeah, I can take care of your food. Of course I can take, maybe tonight. I don't know how fast I'll go. The week after that, it'll be, yeah, of course I can provide water from you. Anywhere, anytime. I'll just pick a rock and have water come out of it. I can do that. None of these things are too difficult for me. The chariots, the chariots. The what? Oh. No food, no food. There's so many people. Oh, there. We're so thirsty. We drink the place dry. There's not, there's not enough water. Oh, you know. God wants to do that for us. He wants to be that for us. He wants us to see him for who he is and how, how he can. A lot of the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the beautiful gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't being used anymore because we don't have need for them. or We're not sure that he can anymore or wants to. Of course he does. He just wants us to walk by faith to do it. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? None. Who is like you, glorious in holiness? Man, don't ever forget that part of the characteristics of God. Is he a warrior? Yes. He's a man of war, he says. Is he beautiful? Yes. But he's also holy. And he calls us to be holy like he's holy. It's not okay to sin. It's not. That's why Jesus died on the cross, is for our sins. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation if you sin. It doesn't mean that once you become saved that you don't continue to sin now and then, but you should have remorse and repentance should follow. Our God is holy, and it should be embarrassing to us when we're not. It should bother us deep within our souls when we're not holy. He doesn't want us to live in a perpetual state of guilt. There is no more guilt. Jesus has paid the price for all of our sins, but I do want to repent. I want to be more like him. I don't want to fail. I want to look like a son of God. You would want to look like a daughter of God. Because it's glorious to see that holiness. That's how they saw his holiness. And I don't want to ever get away from that as a church or as a body or as believers, that when we look on God's holiness, we see our failure instead of his glory. It is a measuring stick. It does show us the distance between us and God, but it also makes him beautiful. There's something about seeing a person who's walking in holiness. It's like you're drawn to it. Not self-righteousness. Don't get me wrong. That's a put-off, isn't it? That causes you to run away. And you can feel that. You can tell that. When you walk, watch someone who's walking a walk of holiness and doesn't know you're watching, I think that helps because you don't feel like they're looking at you with fiery eyes. But when you watch that holiness, that walk, you're like, oh, wow, that's beautiful. It's glorious to see a human being being obedient to God. It's glorious. And so they write that. Who is like you, glorious in holiness, because none of their gods that they worshiped before were holy. None of them. Because when you make a god... Because man makes all other gods. All other gods are created by man. You will put man's characteristics into that god. You can't help it. It comes from you. 
that comes from them. Whoever made this God Moloch, whoever made this God uh, Astra, whoever made this God that God or the other God, it comes from their heart. And so there's going to be human characteristics, and you're going to see a failed God who isn't holy and perfect and beautiful at all, not glorious, terrifying. Not terrifying in the sense that I love my father and I'm scared of him, but terrifying in like, man, I just, I'm terrified. I have no idea whether he's going to destroy me or not. This God isn't like that, they said, glorious and holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Are there any other gods that that can do these things? No, we've never seen anything like this. You stretch out your right hand. You notice he brings that up a lot, that right hand thing. It's just a, it's an honorable thing. The right hand was meant for, well, it was the most important. It, most people are right-handed. Sorry, lefties. It's just the way it is. And so um, if you're left-handed, it, 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 well, I was going to make a joke and I'm going to stop. It's, it's, if you're like you're not saved or something, that's not funny. But when you stretch out your right hand, God, when we see the importance that you placed upon us, that's the idea. You didn't deal with our problems with your left hand. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a, oh, are you in trouble again? It was with your right hand. It was with your focus. It was with your, it was with everything you had. Everything was poured out. It wasn't hard for God, but it was that important to God. And so are you, and so are your problems. So are the things that you're going through. He doesn't deal with your prayer requests at night with his left hand. Oh, I don't, yeah, whatever. He's not dismissive about our puny little problems, and, I, and they are small. I, I went by a house today, a man who, he collects rocks, and I, I, I spends a lot of time collecting rocks, and it's, 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 it's his thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I looked at the house, and I began to see the rocks being displayed in different ways and shapes and, and all over the front and all around, and I got to thinking about just how small that is. As I thought about the creator of all these rocks and the creators of, you know, when God plays with rocks, it's like planet size, you know? <laughs> Venus, poof, there's a rock, I think. It might be made of gas. I don't know what it's made of. I'm not a scientist, nor do I pretend to be one, but sometimes my problems, I think, are small. And then I got to thinking, well, that's my perspective of his yard. Oh, look at all the rocks. And you're thinking, boy, he's collecting the rocks and doing all this stuff. But that's his way of, it's his thing, you know? And as dismissive as I was, as I drove by and, and thought, wow, man, I mean, it's just, it's just a rock. I mean, we're surrounded by him. To him, it isn't. And to God, it isn't. He doesn't think like I think. He doesn't look upon this rock collector. That's probably how God speaks to this guy or is at least trying to speak to this guy. Look at this. How can this be? Look at this evidence. How can this be? How can your belief system deal with what I'm showing you here as you collect all these rocks and display them? One time he's going to look back at his yard and say, Oy vey. you know, there is a God, a true and living God. And he's letting me discover and see all these things, you know? God doesn't deal with us with his left hand, nor is he dealing with that man with his left hand. Everything God does with us is with his right, with everything. And so they notice that. That's important to them. 
You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people we will hear and be afraid uh, all over. In other words, the rest of the world is going to hear about what you did here today. And we're going to sing a song about it. That's going to be amazing. And so they begin to describe the people. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them by the greatness of your arm. They will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. I like that. Oh, the confidence. Oh, the, the worship, the heart. Oh, can we just stay in 15 forever, you know? And not go to 16 and not go to 17. Can we just stay right here? Because there's something beautiful about a person who just is born again believer. They've just discovered that they're wicked and were destined for hell and their sins had separated them from God. And they realized God loved them so much not to leave them in that desperate place. And he sent his son to die on the cross for their sins. And if they would just believe on him, all their sins were past him. And they're born again and they're worshiping the Lord and they're singing songs and he's delivered them and they've been water baptized and everything's beautiful. Oh, stay right there. Just stay there. Life is going to hit them hard, but it doesn't have to be a fearful thing. It doesn't have to be a worrisome thing. Just sing this song. Fill in the gap for Edom, Philistia, Moab, the Canaanites. All your problems, put them in those slots. Not woe is me and my problems, woe is them. Woe are my problems. I better watch out. I've got a God now, and he loves me, and he's delivered me from the worst of my problems. You? Nothing. Financial situation? <laughs> Who cares? Difference does it make? Sickness? Whatever. Got to die something any day. You know, it doesn't matter. None of these things move me. I don't have to worry because the thing that was, gonna, that was terrifying, the, the thing that kept me up at night, the thing that would drive me insane thinking about my eternity being in darkness and hellfire, been taken care of. What could you possibly throw at me, world, that would concern me? That's where they are right now. It's a beautiful place. Fear and dread will fall on them, not on us, until we pass over, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. And that's the end of the song. You're great, God. You're going to reign forever and ever. They probably should sing this every morning. Maybe get together and sing. Of course, if they did, what happens? You forget the words. You kind of sing along and your mind travels elsewhere. You ever get songs like that up here? We've sung them a lot or something, and all of a sudden you kind of kind of drift off, but you're still singing, and you kind of tune back in and tune back out of the, out of the song, but you've, you've sung it all. It's just like reading a book. Remember, for you'd study? Oh, tomorrow's the test, and you'd read and read and read and read, and then like five pages later, you're like, you've been reading without even comprehending, and you didn't get any of it. You got to go back and reread it. Some of you aren't like that, and we don't like you. 
<laughs> the rest of us struggle with wandering. I mean, you talk about daydreaming. <clears throat> 50 years old, I still haven't figured out how to stop daydreaming. daydreaming. My third, third grade teacher, Mrs. Poulsen, I had to sit by her desk the entire year, both semesters. My desk was pulled up next to hers. That's the kind of pastor you have, by the way. Because I couldn't stop just staring at We had glass windows. There no air conditioning, so you had glass windows all on that side, and you'd just sit there. I'd just look, and I'd be gone. She'd J.D., J.D., and then, yes, Mrs. Polson, what are we talking about? You know, I had no idea. If they sang this song every single day, that's how it would be. Because that event where they watched and were singing songs as the Egyptian soldiers were washing up on the sea and they're remembering the plagues and they're remembering all these things, we get to that place in our walk with the Lord. What have you done for me lately, unfortunately? What have you done for me lately, God? Oh, yeah, I remember that and that and that. And that was great. And we wrote a song about that. That song's old. What have you done for me lately? That's why we celebrate Christmas and Easter every single year. What more do I have to do for you? You know? What's wrong with being born into this world as a God come in the flesh? That's a pretty big deal, because I didn't need to do that, but I did. And I grew up in this world, and I was tempted like you are in all things and in all ways, and yet without sin, I lived a perfect life here for you, to show you what it could be done, and it was by the power of the Holy Spirit, not because I'm God. I did it. And then I was unjustly accused of your sins, but I took them and I paid the penalty for your sins on the cross so that you'd never have to pay for those sins. I took hell for you. And three days later, I rose from the dead just to put a little oomph on it to let you know that the sacrifice that I offered was accepted by the living God. You raised me from the dead. I raised myself from the dead, Jesus says. So what more does he need to do? Well, Nothing, right? Nothing. If I spent the rest of my life just praising him and never asked him for another thing the rest of my life, he's done enough. You know? Verse 19, For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, that's Moses' sister, older sister, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the, the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them. So they sang this big song, and the gals came out. So that was all men singing that. All the guys, male chorus, you know. Beards a-flapping and everything. Beautiful, deep, resonant sounds. And the ladies come out, and our turn. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So they're like the, they're like the chorus or the bridge. I don't, know, I don't know how music's written. or anything. They come in. Now sing it again. And then they come back in. You know, And they're singing with their tambourines and everything. Man, we're kind of stoic. We're kind of Midwestern, to be honest with you. And I understand that. It, it, it's it's different. And some of you grew up in Pentecostal churches, a little more Pentecostal than ours, obviously, a little more flamboyant, you know, and, and, and there's nothing we can do about it. You can't like, okay, now we're handing out hula hoops and you're all going to run around and you're going to get over it. 
Although, you can get a lot of them on Amazon. They're pretty cheap if you buy them in bulk. But just raising our hands is sometimes difficult for us because it's, and I don't know what it is. I could analyze it, but it doesn't matter. We are who we are. We are who we are. And God knows the position of our hearts. And that's important. But these folks, man, when they would worship, it was off the hook. I mean, there was, there was no holds barred. When David got excited and began to sing, and that's probably where it comes from, his wife was looking out and saying, oh, you know, he's dancing around. He had taken off his, his uh, outer garments and was dancing around in his undergarments. Not like our undergarments, probably, but, you know. The robes of his majesty were removed. He had, abased, he had made himself abased. In other words, that was the point. I'm no better than this right here. And he danced before the Lord, and his wife criticized him when he got back in. He says, I will be even more undignified than this. And that might be the problem. Dignity. When it comes to God, there is nothing more dignified than to be undignified in his presence. To disrobe and take off all of that majesty, all of that pomp that we have, that we don't even know we have sometimes. I don't know that we realize it. I show a lot of houses. I do that. And there are some people I like to show houses, and there are some people I don't like to show houses. It's hard sometimes to see the pomp, to see the arrogance, to see the... It's ugly. I don't think we realize how ugly it is sometimes on us and on myself. I'll just call myself out on it. You know, prudishness, you know. It's ugly. So when you see these guys saying, man, I know we thought the graves in Egypt, but this was pretty incredible. To sing a song like that is to humble themselves, to exalt God, to sing a praise song to him. It, it's, it's at the same time telling the world about themselves. You're great. We had no idea how we were going to get out of that. In fact, we kind of called you on it, God. We thought we were in trouble. But then you did it, and it was really cool. It's a humbling thing to say that out loud, and they did. And the ladies join in. Singing and they brought the they brought the instruments in and dancing before the Lord. Sing to the Lord, singing again. You know, we went down to Seth's drum teacher's church. Uh, is it Jesus Tabernacle? Is that what it was called? Jesus Tabernacle down there. We were the only white people there, except for Seth. It was awesome. We were up in the balcony, you know, because that's. Well, that's where the white people go. Because <laughs> you don't know what to do. And, and we're standing there, and, and oh, man, just watch. It was, it was like this. <laughs> we could do that, kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Oh, they were worshiping the Lord and watching Brian Alfred up there play the drums and watching Seth up there do his thing and watching all the ladies in their hats and everything. Man, they were just going. I was like, mmm, mmm. You almost started doing it back. Preach, you know. Uh-huh. Say it again. Amen. You know, you got into it, and that's what's happening. Miriam comes out with her tambourine saying, sing to the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Mmm. I love it. So, 
We're going to work on that around here. It's okay. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water from Marah, uh, waters of Marah, for they were bitter, poisoned, or uh, there's a problem with them. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Then he cast it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. It's an interesting thought. Why? Why couldn't they just come up to clean water? Why did they have to be bitter? Why did we have to cry out to the Lord? Why weren't the circumstances better? If God can throw a tree into a, a pond and make it good water, why couldn't he have just made it good water to begin with? What's the point? I ask when I'm reading, and I, I think you guys do too. I mean, why? Well, I mean, if you want to take a spiritual twist on this, and it's hard not to, as you see, uh, Egypt represents the world, Pharaoh represents Satan, they were in bondage, the Israelites were slaves to the world, slaves to Satan, they were brought out by a deliverer, Moses, who represents Christ, they walk across, go through the Red Sea, water baptism, leaves their enemies in the dust, there is no way they're going to die anymore, their enemies have been completely wiped out, not only are they not pursuing them anymore, there is no one who can pursue them anymore, completely set free. They sing a praise song to God. They walk up to the first thing they see to get some water, and it's bitter. And I think that happens to us as believers. We're born again. We begin to think of our past. We begin to think of the things that we've done and the, the bitterness of our lives and the hardships and all these things. And God says, just throw the tree in there. The cross makes these things beautiful, makes these things sweet, gives us uh, reference points he can change these things. He can give us beauty for ashes is the idea. He can restore what the locust has eaten. And so when you have these bitter waters of, of Mara, what are we going to do? There's nothing to drink. How are we going to survive this? Just throw the tree in there. Something about remembering the cross and what he's done for you helps us through those. Memories. Maybe some baggage we had to carry with us, you know. Uh, consequences, I mean. So I sinned back there, but God's delivered me from it, but I'm still holding on to the consequences of that sin back there. It's, it's following me. God can make that sweet. He can turn it into something beautiful. Oh, I thought I was going to be a victim forever. I thought I was going to be a, a, a convicted felon forever. I thought I was going to be this forever. I thought this was my new identity, but God has made me new again. Beautiful pardon last night. If you watch the RNC, and if you're not watching it, please do. A beautiful pardon by our president from a, a former criminal, and that's what we'll call him, but he's no more. He's not that anymore. He's brought newness of life. He's bringing ministry. It's interesting. It's so picturesque of what God can do with our broken, ruined lives. He says, no, I can work this out. I think of Mary Magdalene. One of the greatest worshipers the Bible ever records. And she was a prostitute. You know? Hmm. He can do that for all of us. I can make those waters sweet. There he made a statute, Moses did, and, uh, and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, 
I will not, or I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Just apply God's word to your life. Moses says, right here at Mira, I can turn the bitterness into sweet. Apply God's word to your life and let me do that for you. I heal, God says. That's what he does. Don't you love that? Not only am I a warrior, am I a provider of food and a provider of water, but I'm a healer. I heal waters like this all the time. I can heal your life. I can heal your heart, your soul, whatever. I can heal your marriage. I can heal your kids and your relationships with them. I can heal things. I do that. Let him in. Apply him. Apply his word. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the water, fresh water from the well. That's where we close tonight. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful text, this beautiful song. We don't know the tune. We certainly know the heart because we've experienced it ourselves. A heart of worship, a heart of love, adoration, praise to you, God, for who you are. As they recounted all the things you'd done for them and acknowledged how large you were, how big you were, your, your, your sovereignty, your beautiful hand, your majesty, and that you used your right hand and not your left hand. God, we took notice of that song and we sing the same song to you. We're not an afterthought. We're not a problem child. We're in the forefront of your mind. You said so. Your thoughts towards us are precious and as the sands of the sea. In other words, they're innumerable how you feel about us, how you think about us. And we receive that this morning, this afternoon or this evening. We thank you for that, God. We receive it. We believe you that that's how you feel about us today. And so God, thank you for that. And we love you too. We love you for who you are. We recognize your holiness and we recognize that that's where you want to take us and what you want to make, what you want to make in us. And so we want to let you do that. We surrender our lives to you tonight. We give you every aspect of it. There isn't any waters in our life that we don't want you to touch and make pure. We give everything to you. You have complete rule and reign in our hearts and in our lives. Change whatever you want to change. Do whatever you want to do because whatever you choose to do will be the best for us. And we'll be sweet and beautiful. We give that to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good night, guys. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. We'll be glad to pray with you.